cryptocurrency grows in its global adoption, it will continue to fuel a new world of possibilities. Currently, cryptocurrency is being used to facilitate cross-border payments, remittances, tuition fees, Bitcoin-backed mortgages for real estate. It's how some are paying their bills and even their taxes. And it's also becoming a growing medium through which we support the causes we care about under what's known as crypto philanthropy. Crypto philanthropy is opening up new opportunities for nonprofits. And my guest today, Pietro Moran, he works for The Giving Block, which is an organization at the forefront of providing 501c3s with crypto solutions. At The Giving Block, Pietro serves as director of crypto partnerships, and he truly has his finger on the pulse of crypto philanthropy, as you'll see throughout this episode. While many nonprofit supporters donate with cash, checks, wire transfers, and stocks, the demand is growing within the nonprofit sector to not only accept cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, but to understand the crypto donor of tomorrow, as they increasingly make up a larger part of the donor profile of the future. I'm Jarrett Carpenter, and this is More Than Blockchain. Pietro, welcome to More Than Blockchain. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me this morning. Really excited to chat. Yeah, I am too. Uh, the world of crypto philanthropy is only going to be growing, so it's only right that I have you on and we start to talk. I've known about the Giving Block for, I would say, more than a year now. And more recently, it's been a lot more directly on my radar. So it's great to have you on to talk about crypto philanthropy. I recently shared with you that I picked up a position with Mercy Corps so I will be working directly with the giving block, as it were. And so with that, I want to ask you, how did you get into the giving block? Talk to me a little bit about your past with crypto and what you're currently doing today. Absolutely. Happy to do so. And as a quick aside, really excited for you to be joining Mercy Corps. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us to further collaborate. And we can't wait to see what kind of compounding you have to their efforts there. So. As far as my introduction to the giving block, I, for one, will tell you, I was never initially in my kind of career search thinking that I'd end up in a position to be in the philanthropic space. I'd always imagined I'd go a different direction. I had uh, gone to grad school for economics and thought, you know, crypto was definitely the industry I wanted to participate in, but I figured it would be in a more, you know, maybe financialized way. Now, fast forward to I guess my introduction to the giving block, I had actually met one of our founders down here in Miami, was fortunate enough to, to go out with him and hear a bit about how he uh, started the company and what his vision was. And then, you know, after some months of back and forth, you know, we're friends, but, you know, maybe he's sending me a couple of uh, messages like, what are you thinking about work? And all, all of a sudden it was, uh, you know, an opportunity presented itself to join uh, as part of the partnerships team here. And ever since, I think I've been here just about a year and one month now, but we've been, you know, fast approaching kind of the intersection of corporates in the space, how people are interacting with philanthropy and really augmenting the efforts of nonprofits to fundraise in this new asset class. And it's been a really exciting opportunity. I really look forward to the future. Very, very cool. And I was actually thinking before we started to record and I'm sure I could have looked this up on the website, but I was trying to stay more in a space of curiosity because I was thinking, what are the ways in which the giving block supports philanthropy? And philanthropic activity is kind of a very broad brushstroke to say a lot of different activities, ideally with the intention to do good. 
I know that Mercy Corps right now works with the Giving Block and the Giving Block basically provides custody and almost like a payment rail for us to be able to receive Bitcoin from a donor. It would come into the Giving Block. The Giving Block would then give that in US dollars to Mercy Corps because Mercy Corps is in the United States and we'd want US dollars. What other ways is the Giving Block supporting philanthropic work? Is Are they working with corporations? that are trying to do gifts? Are they working with universities that are, that are getting donations from alumni and from other, you know, other outside entities? In what other ways outside of the very simple, I have a nonprofit, there is a donor, the donor wants to donate crypto or Bitcoin? Absolutely. Yeah. As you point out, there can be quite a bit of nuance. Um, we obviously do direct to nonprofit donations. And so if you look at the giving block from, say, a 10,000 foot view, we do a couple of things very well, I like to think. We're a technology solution and infrastructure provider for nonprofits, really looking for turnkey access to the crypto fundraising ecosystem. So as you mentioned, we help with the opportunity for a donor to give you know, one of 80 different crypto assets and then have that auto converted into cash at the discretion of the nonprofit. We also allow you to hold that Bitcoin, uh, especially in this, in this scenario you're saying, at Mercy Corps, if you so choose that that's the right idea for your, your nonprofit. So not only that, but we also do quite a bit in terms of supporting our nonprofits with accessing this new demographic, right? How do you speak to new donors that maybe are more online, living on Twitter, you know, crypto natives that aren't, you know, the exact uh, demographic that people are used to, right? Because I think the traditional donor base for, for nonprofits is, you know, the average age is probably 65 to 75. and in the crypto ecosystem, you know, we're probably about half that. So millennial or Gen Z, you know, speaks a different language than the traditional donor that might just be donating um, the check by mail or something like that. So to pivot from that, what else we do, and you, you bring this up, is we do work with institutions, individuals, projects in the crypto ecosystem to help augment, augment their social impact goals. So that could look like us working with some of our large exchange partners like Gemini, for example, to do corporate social responsibility. That's a great opportunity for them as a company to outsource a piece of their HR and compliance to us and work with a kind of bilateral partnership where we help them plan out who they want to support as an organization. And then they can lean on our expertise to, you know, conduct all the relevant, you know, nonprofit specific actions and activities. So we get to do a lot of stuff. We work with NFT projects. We work with exchanges. We work with wallet providers. I mean, you kind of can go down the full rabbit hole of like crypto companies and we're, we're trying to work with everyone, but we do more than just, you know, act as that portal for someone to donate to their non, their favorite nonprofit. I assumed it was obviously a lot more. And I think the solutions that you guys are providing, you being the giving block are absolutely necessary for the world to kind of move forward and see crypto you know, as an asset class that can do a variant multiple of things at one time, which is really great. And you talked a little bit about donors and this is a behind the curtains of my life. This is my <laughs> third day or I've only been with Mercy Corps for three days or less than a week. I've only been with Mercy Corps for less than a week now. And so I'm getting on board to, on to what they're trying to do. But a lot of the conversations are, how do we meet the donors where they are? Because crypto lives on Twitter, lives on Reddit, maybe lives on LinkedIn, lives in Discord. It lives in like these niches of the internet. And even within Twitter and LinkedIn, it's still in these like corners of, of those social networks. 
So I can see where the donor pushed back and maybe where the, I want to say maybe ignorance around the space, just from, they just don't know about the space. Mm -hmm. And that makes total sense. Can you talk to me a little bit about the organizational pushback where the nonprofits reach out to you and you're trying to make a partnership with them, but they're hesitant. Where is the pushback? Is it the normal FUD narratives that come out of crypto? Or other other things? Is it more taxes? Is it how are we going to write this off as a 501c3? You know, what if we keep Bitcoin on our books for a month? What does that look like? As you can imagine, when nonprofits are exploring opportunities in an asset class or in a subsect of technology that they might not be as comfortable with, they will come with many questions that you know relate to things like security, for example, right? How do we know that these funds aren't coming from places we don't want them to or how do we know that you know the custody and you know conversion of those assets is happening in real time then they'll ask things like who exactly are we receiving these donations from like how do i interact with someone with a dog avatar on twitter and is that a real person or does that even matter that it's a real person um like you mentioned crypto lives in disparate places and what's really cool about that is Oftentimes, donors will find the nonprofits before uh, and donate before they actually formalize any relationship with them. So that kind of throws traditional fundraising on its head because oftentimes when you're looking at a major gifts donor as a nonprofit, you might be doing outreach. You might be taking someone out to lunch or cultivating that donation by formalizing a relationship. You know, we have folks that maybe mint an NFT, make 25 ETH or something, and then donate five of it to their favorite charity. And the charity's never even heard of them before. They just received this gift and they're like, oh my God, now I have to do something about it. And it's a great kind of, you know, it's like Christmas every day when that happens, right? But it's a really cool opportunity for nonprofits to do what they do best in their traditional fundraising, but then layer on this new asset class and this new donor demographic where they can, you know, try new things on their social media and work new strategies around how they do outreach to a younger audience that also happens to have, uh, you know, a super advantageous asset to donate. Um, I guess the last point I'll make on that, because you did bring it up, is like, we do address all those concerns that they have around security, custody, automated tax receipts, especially for US 501c3s where it's relevant, or for US donors that could potentially claim a deduction. And, you know, while we don't offer financial advice as a company, we do recommend that individuals look at crypto as you know, a tactical use of an asset that might benefit them, especially when they're making donations and can claim relevant deductions. And we educate all these nonprofits that we talk to and, uh, and you know, isolate any objections by, uh, you know, through education, not through like, you know, any other means. I really think that that's one of the only ways to onboard people into Web3, into crypto, into blockchain solutions is from education and empowerment. So I'm, I'm glad and I'm really looking forward to work with the Giving Block, knowing that that's their approach to the space. You mentioned NFTs and I was wondering about NFTs. I like the example you gave, you know, somebody mints it, it goes up to 25 ETH, they sell, they have 25 Ethereum, they decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to give 20% five Ethereum to my favorite nonprofit. Does the Giving Block help nonprofits currently or any of the institutions you could support to custody NFTs? If someone minted 10 CryptoPunks you know, back in 2017 and they still hold them and they're like, you know what, the Mercy Corps is doing, I'll use Mercy Corps as an example. I want to support 
the the Ukrainians or anyone that's being hurt from that. And I have a crypto punk. This is a ridiculous example, but just play with me here. Mm-hmm. Do you guys help with custody if they wanted to give an NFT or would that be more directly with the organization like Mercy Corps for an example? It's a great question. It's something that we've actually gotten a lot of questions about from both donors and nonprofits. So you're kind of catching the wave of what is of interest for the subsect of donors that hold NFTs. And the answer is, while we don't have it productized now, it's on the roadmap. So we're definitely thinking about it. And the tricky piece of the NFT kind of donation space for anybody that's curious is a question about appraisal. So when you are donating, for example, one Bitcoin or one Ethereum, you know exactly what that's worth because there's a current market price that you can liquidate it for. And so from that perspective, you know, from a tax uh, on the tax side of things, but also for any like relevant deduction claiming, you know exactly how much you donated in an equivalent fiat currency, which is helpful. Now, while that may be sort of true for, you know, NFTs, they're less fungible, right? They're less liquid. And so they're more difficult to say, like, I know exactly what that crypto punk is worth. Now, that doesn't mean it's impossible, right? So we are exploring different avenues and solutions for that. And, you know, when we roll that out, we're going to be very excited for our nonprofit network and clients like Mercy Corps to be able to accept, you know, a CryptoPunk or a Bored Ape as a donation. And then, you know, maybe that can be a part of their crypto philanthropy programming uh, going forward. I'm so glad that you answered that in the way that you did, because I do think it's on the forefront of what crypto philanthropy is going to look like in the future. Because in the event, once again, we're all in hypotheticals. So anyone listening to this, I'm living in a world of hypotheticals. But there's a, someone who has the 10 CryptoPunks or someone that has three board apes. And they really like the work that Mercy Corps has been doing. They've been following Mercy Corps as a nonprofit. And they say, here's a board ape we'd like to give you. Well, that would be really, really cool for Mercy Corps as an institution or an organization to hold that board ape. Because then when they have any of these parties or any of these social events that are exclusive and elite, essentially, it would be cool. And I'm being selfish here, but as the crypto person to be able to go to those and then continue conversations around, hey, how can we use all of this energy and the synergy around crypto, around NFTs, these digital asset backed communities to continue to do good? And I do think that that is the future where nonprofits are going to try to get into some of the more blue chip NFT projects as a means to be able to have a seat at the table because mm-hmm. access in the world we live in, whether it's nonprofit or for profit is really what the game is about. And I want to go back to something that you were talking about when you, when you were mentioning the onboarding of uh, organizations, one of the things you said was somebody will come to you and say, Hey, Pietro, how do we know that this isn't coming from a bad actor, which totally aligns with the three FUD narratives of crypto. One of them is that it's only used for illicit activity. One of them is that it's really bad for the planet. And one of them is that crypto, Bitcoin, or any of it is just a Ponzi scheme. And in the last 12 months, we've had fiascos. And that's a yeah. really kind way of putting it. Sure. One of the biggest ones was Luna. When that went down, I wanted to ask you if that affected the giving block. And by affecting the giving block, did it affect any of your organizations that you're supporting? And maybe kind of, almost fulfill a narrative that they had had about crypto as being a nefarious thing? And how have you guys kind of tangled with that? And I asked that super selfishly because I'm going to have to start to answer these things as well. No, I I think it's great that you bring these things up because, you know, for all of its, uh, you know, redeeming qualities, crypto also isn't perfect. And so we as an organization take a sort of 
relatively conservative approach when it comes to nonprofits in terms of we want to start with the foundation of educating. Then when we notice that there are, let's just say, quasi, uh, you know, dubious actors in the space or things that we may not trust, we will definitely take the approach of sort of wait and see before we just rush headlong into, you know, like you say, a turbo Ponzi or something like that. And, you know, I think our, I think there's a couple of things that really allow us a unique perspective on this industry. One is I think our team is very well versed in the space. You know, our founders have been around crypto, you know, for over five years. The same could be said of myself and my team on the partnership side. And so we also have great, you know, folks that come from the nonprofit sector as well. So it's melding those two kind of uh, knowledge bases into one where the crypto team can say, hey, you know, Luna looks to be not the safest place for us to be fundraising. So let's not participate in that opportunity. And I think that served us quite well. The other thing that I'll say is what we do is as a platform, start with like a security first mindset. So to answer your question, we didn't have any nonprofits affected by Luna uh, on the giving block, thankfully. And then also for other, you know, re, uh, other fiascos, as you mentioned in crypto, like you had a lot of companies blow up or lending platforms that didn't perform very well. And, you know, there were certainly a lot of inquiries like, hey, we saw that you are a nonprofit that holds crypto. Or you should come and plug your balances in here and earn yield on them, for example. Right. Those are opportunities that abounded last year. And people were offering like these eye popping rates and people who might not know any better or maybe just aren't familiar with the crypto lending space might have seen that as an opportunity to plug their hard earned funds um, in, in, you know, as a nonprofit there. And we would advise against those things. So all that to say is we take you know, the expertise that we have and do sort of a market survey of protecting nonprofits from unscrupulous actors or people that we think might not be the best partners. And I think that's uh, thankfully served us well since we've had no nonprofits suffer uh, as a result of any of these blowups. I'm so glad to hear that. It was kind of more of my edgy questions, I guess, if you were thinking about the, one of the ones I'd written good. down. <laughs> yeah, because I think the problem with Luna is that it was backed by so many things and it was seen as this is okay, what they're doing is okay. So then when it tumbled, it was very similar to like a Lehman Brothers, where you mm -hmm. have this thing that had been in the space and it had built up kind of the social credibility beyond the financials of a brand, that this is kind of a good thing. And only in hindsight do we realize the Bernie Madoffs of the world. And right now in TradFi, and anyone listening who maybe this is your first delve into crypto, TradFi is just a way of saying traditional finance. Credit Suisse is going through it. And Credit Suisse for a long time has been a pretty big financialist institution and player. And right now they're on the edge of potential bankruptcy, which would have economic ripples throughout the world as we kind of dive more into a global recession. So I wanted to ask you how the crypto winner is affecting things, because it has to be affecting things. There's not a way that it's not affecting things, right? The work case in my mind is that if I have all this Bitcoin, if I have 100 Bitcoin, when the price is going up through the moon, then I'm going to be like, oh yeah, two Bitcoin, whatever. But as it goes down, maybe I clench a little bit more onto my Bitcoin and I become less altruistic for a lack of better term. So how is that affecting the giving block and the overall crypto philanthropy as it is now? So I think all the nonprofits that we work with are used to fundraising in good times and bull markets and fundraising in bear markets, right? Or, or winter times. 
And so we take the approach of saying, you know, let's pivot some of our strategies. So on partnerships, which is the department I run, like it'll be, it's definitely noticeable. I'll say that much, right? Because, you know, it might be one in five or one in six of the companies that you used to partner with are either conducting layoffs or not even around anymore. So certainly the landscape has changed, but that doesn't deter us from, uh, you know, generating great outcomes. So year over year, uh, we're still looking at an uptick in, in total volume of donations. What does that mean? It means while we did uh, in the last 12 months about $100 million of crypto fundraising, we're certainly look at num- looking at numbers for total year-end north of that. I think that's a reason of two things. It's like, one, while we did a great job last year during the bull market, we were a lesser-known commodity as a company. And so while we were expanding that footprint and distribution, you know, there's more meat on that bone to say, you know, there's X amount of total crypto users, maybe a very small percentage is donating crypto. We can expand that even if prices come down, there's still going to be altruistic folks that will leverage crypto as a donation asset. The other thing that I would say is interesting is what's really interesting about a bear market scenario is that volatility is actually quite good for us in the space because as you know, if something goes up 10% in a week, people might take profits off of those gains, don't make a donation. Or, you know, it's a two-directional market, right? If somebody is shorting the market and they're aggressively, uh, you know, betting on downside and we get that, they might also take some of that P&L and roll that into a donation. Part of it is great because they can offset some of their tax liabilities as U.S. citizens, you know, utilizing a donation as part of that strategy, which I think is really great because not only does the nonprofit benefit, but overall, you get to do a great thing that also helps you. Now, with that being said, crypto winters are cyclical. We, I think, do a good job of educating our clients and our partners that we're here for the long term. And so we're still pushing ahead on a lot of things. We have some really exciting stuff that we just recently announced. Like we've had a few API integrations, which means that you can now donate in some of your favorite applications that you're already using. So like, Nifty Kit, which is an NFT creator toolkit, now allows you to add a royalty or you know percentage of proceeds to a nonprofit as a recipient. So all those like little things that we can build on the margin help to stem the tide of this total pullback so that our nonprofits still see volume. Also, great to hear because that I, I had a working assumption that that could be the case. There's actually a lot of money to be made from an investor standpoint or someone who's going to sit around the market in a down market because like you said, the volatility, you can still find opportunity, which is amazing. And you had touched on going back to looking at the giving block as an organization, you had touched on the fact that there is a really good mix of like crypto people and nonprofit people and they kind of coalesce or I think you said meld to kind yeah. of make what the giving block is and provide these solutions for the philanthropic world. Can you break down what that percent is? And I'm sure once someone's in, if you come in with crypto after six months, you can say you've been in the nonprofit world and vice versa. If you're nonprofit, you're probably going to get baptized in crypto and what yeah. that is. But what does that look like? Is there like a certain onboarding for either person? I, I kind of want to see behind the curtain of the giving block and, and how that kind of plays itself out. It's a great experience learning something that you'd never participated in. So I'll say this much. I was baptized into the world of the nonprofit scene when I first onboarded here at the Giving Block. And I've been in crypto for about seven years now. And so I thought I had that pretty well under my belt. Then I start trying to figure out what ling- you know, the lingo is to talk to nonprofits. And I had to 
re-educate myself and change my vocabulary to some extent because it's a you know there's a lot of like degen lingo let's just say in crypto and that's not the way to talk to a nonprofit and rightfully so right so you know polishing some of the um, the edges around what you're used to interacting with for folks that are mostly in the crypto space and then vice versa for the nonprofit folks to maybe let their hair down a little bit and uh, allow themselves to have some fun uh, in the in the crypto space in terms of like what they post on Twitter maybe they have NFTs now maybe they have a good time. And I've seen the nonprofit folks be really receptive to all things crypto. I think genuinely, like anybody who wants to learn is uh, is pretty happy to, to see like the curriculum that we kind of have here. So to answer your question, I would say we probably have like 60, 65%, if I had to throw like a rough estimate out there of folks that are, you know, either crypto native or, you know, six months plus at the giving block that have learned crypto. We always onboard new folks, so you don't like it's not a prerequisite to know crypto to work at the Giving Block. We do, I think, a great job of educating our employees and colleagues as to what the like relevant players are in the space, what you know makes sense from an uh, infrastructure perspective, like how to approach the space and look at it. And then we lean on them to say, "Hey, I've never uh, onboarded a nonprofit into anything in my life before," which was my my case like a year ago. Uh, how exactly am I going to talk to these people? And I think it's been really cool to see, one, the level of excitement from nonprofits to really dig into technology. I would have thought or assumed, having not worked with them, that they'd be very tech averse, very risk averse, and say, crypto is maybe the last thing I want to add to my stack. But then as I learn more about you know, nonprofits and work like, with folks like yourself in, in your role, I start to understand that innovation is what's prioritized because it's not about standing still and, and focusing on things that have worked well. Like you'll always lean on those pillars of your foundation, but now expanding into something like a new asset that you can now accept in a compliant way just totally opens up the, the total addressable market that you can talk to and helps your user base stay kind of more well-rounded. So I applaud nonprofits that are leaning into that. This is kind of full circle what you've just said, because the reason why originally I learned about the giving block, and I believe it was even back maybe in 2019, I think I learned about the giving block because I was working with a nonprofit supporting them, just doing some kind of branded branding, marketing, trying to talk about how we get in touch with the younger generations. And I was also holding back this like need to say wag me and need to like push <laughs> this very crypto centric. Hey, maybe we should, you know accept crypto and see where that goes. But I did throw crypto out to the executive director at the time. And she was super receptive. And she said, go out and figure this out. So I said, all right, I need a, I need someone to partner with. And I came across the giving block. I dove into them. Things changed at the organization because of the pandemic. And when the pandemic came, it shifted things. Mm -hmm. And there were some other things that happened at this particular organization, but they were very, very open to it, leveraging the idea of technology, leveraging technology to be able to kind of make more frictionless donation rails, which I thought was really cool. Now, the pandemic changed everything. So in the pandemic, is that when the Giving Block saw an uptick as people had to kind of change their entire mindset about how technology was going to influence their their impact and philanthropic roadmap, if you will? Yeah, so exactly right. I, I'm a believer that necessity is the mother of innovation, right, to some extent. And when you lose a lot of the tools in the toolkit of traditional fundraising, like your in-person galas, like your traditional donor cultivation kind of program, 
because you can't meet those people on the ground or you can't give them a tour of your facility to get them excited to make a donation. I think it really did put a put an emphasis on looking externally for solutions and and partners, quite frankly, that could help in those more digitized formats, environments where people were now congregating because you couldn't leave your house for a year or two years, depending on your situation, right? So I think we definitely benefited from that groundswell of, you know, people just having more time on the computer so they could look us up and look into us, but also because in a digital format, we can create community on Twitter, in Discord, or in places that you otherwise might have, uh, you know, done that in like meat space, you know, like you could have had a meetup at your favorite restaurant or bar or pub, whatever. And that wasn't possible. So I think what it really did was two things. It emphasized the need, I think, for those nonprofits that weren't using it to have a digital strategy for when times do become a little bit more uncertain. And then what I think it did is it allowed us the time to educate folks because they had maybe a little bit more time not commuting to work or, you know, not being busy out in the field, which I think just emphasized our value proposition and accelerated the sort of curve of adoption for us. So not that I'm ever thankful for a pandemic uh, ever, but I do think, you know, we were sort of net recipients of that. And, you know, so were our nonprofits, right? Because they were then able to say, all right. Our major gifts team can't go and meet you at a conference or at this, that, or the other event, but we can actually jump in and become part of your Discord or jump in and follow you on Twitter and you know start DMing and ask you like what you care about and kind of tell you about our story. So that's I think where crypto donors were uniquely positioned to kind of pick up the slack because also from a macro environment, those assets really did very they performed very well during COVID. So when you look about the average person maybe speculating or putting part of the portfolio towards crypto, they were participating in that wealth creation event, which then the nonprofits were there and ready to be the beneficiaries of. So it was kind of a confluence of factors that just accelerated us, you know, helping our nonprofit clients. That makes perfect sense. And one of the things that I'm hyper bullish on and I really feel positive about is the metaverse. And the metaverse is going to play itself out in a bunch of different ways. And I constantly tell people that we're already on the metaverse. I mean, here you and I are, I believe you're down in Florida. I'm in Massachusetts and we're creating content that then we're going to send to the world. And I know people around the globe are going to listen to through their Mm -hmm. headphones while they're walking around with their phones. We're kind of already almost there. The only thing I think that holds us back from the metaverse is just the tech. I tell people all the time, if I could just put goggles on and start to do things just with my eye movement or whatever. And I do believe we'll be there because even 10 years ago, if we go back to 2012 and I was going into graduate, I was about to go do some graduate work at the new school where I got my master's. I couldn't have ever considered a world where I would be engaging with people to talk about nonprofit stuff or even with donors through Zoom. That would be crazy. And now mm-hmm. here we are. And that's, the, that's kind of like par for the course. So I can easily see in 10 years or, you know, we could maybe be into the metaverse. And what I mean is an AR space or a VR space to kind of dive deeper into, you know, that will be the way that we communicate and maybe engage. So you, you've just touched upon how technology and a pandemic essentially can change our mindset so quickly. So if there were another event, maybe not a pandemic, but something else that were to happen, I think, and the tech was there, right? We had more access to better goggles 
how does the giving block think about the metaverse and is it trying to position itself? Is it trying to take up some space in sandbox or Decentraland or any of these things? Because I do believe in the future because it's already happening now. All the biggest mm -hmm. brands in the world and the biggest organizations and the movers and shakers in whatever industry are going to spend time and add value and exchange value in a virtual or augmented environment. Well, I'll tell you for sure, as, as a partnerships person, it's definitely on my radar. And it's definitely something that my team and I are really taking a or putting a greater emphasis on as we see developments in the technology and developments in sort of the sticky communities that form in those environments, right? I think the biggest thing for us is always to utilize technology effectively when we can augment our distribution or just augment our ability to reach new users or kind of be in the places that they already want to be in, right? The user and donor experience can be very disjointed if every time the giving block is in your periphery, it's like, come to our website only, right? Granted, people already do that. But we do have opportunities, you know, with things like a technical integration with our API to have that donation experience potentially live in a place like the metaverse, right? So you could basically walk into a plot of land that could look like a big giving block or whatever, our logo. Uh, and you could actually have a donation portal live in the metaverse where you support your favorite charity. That can extend to a bunch of different events like a metaverse concert, right? How many times have you heard about charity concerts that nonprofits might put on? And you could just create that content alongside an artist or have it pre-recorded, but then offer that experience to people living in that AR environment. So as we are moving forward towards, I think, a more direct metaverse integration here, we want to make sure that we're you know, doing it so that the nonprofits are at the center of that storytelling, not really just us having a technology play like there. And so we're thinking about how do we include, you know, various nonprofits, like how can we create events or an event space in the metaverse where people can then utilize crypto uh, donations as an outlet. And so we've had some conversations that have been really fruitful. We've even considered working with some folks that are doing like a stand-up comedy seller in the metaverse where they have a tip jar that goes to a nonprofit, for example. So there's a lot of really cool ideas um, and we'll probably activate on them pretty soon, actually. So I would say just stay tuned because um, while I don't want to leak any announcements, we might have some things on the horizon for you. Very cool. I just think that, yeah, in the future, everyone needs to kind of position themselves. I, I see so much of culture and so much of society is pushed forward by politics, money, and fashion. And I was just looking even the other day, uh, Blockworks had put up something and they were just talking about all of the different brands that are kind of getting really, really seriously into NFTs and are going to start to make their foot in the metaverse, whatever that looks like, whatever they choose to invest. And it's just to call it some names to name drop here. It's Nike, Adidas, Gucci, Ralph, uh, Ralph Lauren, Louis Vuitton, Burberry, Balenciaga, Tommy Hilfiger, and Dolce and & Gabbana. And so as the elites and the people that maybe would buy those things, obviously maybe Nike and Adidas isn't as elite, but some of these other products are pretty high end. As the people who have this type of luxury money start to go into more NFTs, into the metaverse, I just think that most of the rest of the sectors of the world will kind of fall. I mean, this is how the internet was adopted. It was first only used by institutions and maybe wealthier people who could afford to have a personal computer. Mm -hmm. And now you can get a smartphone for, I don't know, 250 bucks, walk around, connect almost to four or 5G. And so as the shift and the adoption happens, I think, and the tech also catches up, I think that 
the metaverse is going to play a larger part. So it's cool to know that the giving block and crypto philanthropy will eventually work its way towards those digital spaces. Mm -hmm. On episode 40, I had on Saul Nassisi, and Saul works at Bentley University, which is up here in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And he was instrumental in working with the university to be able to accept, I think they accept Bitcoin, Ethereum, and USDC. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a stablecoin. For those of you who don't know what stablecoin, it's just basically a digital dollar, for lack of better terms. And he was saying that even sending USDC can be preferable to dollars due to the global. Many students come from across the the world, and so they could pay tuition in USDC and save a lot of money as opposed to having to go through basically SWIFT and basically our international payment system and pay with dollars if they're coming from Europe or South America or Asia or Africa or another part of the planet. Do you think there's benefits? And have you guys seen at the Giving Block people preferring to send USDC as opposed to dollars? And what would your argument be to someone who's saying, hey, Pietro, should I be sending USDC or dollars? Would it be similar to what uh, Saul laid out in episode 40? I think so. I I would say Saul is is definitely hitting on something with with regard to cross-border payments and remittances. I mean, Globally, I don't think there is a more effective tool than USDC for transmitting value. I mean, you could argue it could be like the Bitcoin Lightning Network or other things, and I'm very like I'm very amenable to those arguments. But as far as what's being utilized at scale or with some volume, um, USDC is a great settlement opportunity. So I have dollars or value in one geography. I want to move it to another. Anybody who's really conducted one of those transactions in the traditional space has recognized how expensive and costly and onerous that whole ordeal can be. So not for nothing, when you have the opportunity to do that in a digital way, uh, it makes a big difference for those uh, that might otherwise be priced out of some economic activity. And it's actually interesting to let you in on some some kind of data on our side. Stable coins tend to be two, at least, of the top five uh, donation mediums for our donors. So this might be because of a few things. You know, if they're used to trading or doing things in DeFi, they might be accumulating uh, PL or assets in USDC or an equivalent stable. It could be something else that they convert profits to. And that might be because they're looking for a stable, a stable coin or stable value after they've conducted sort of their volatile speculative activity. But I also think it just speaks to the nature of wanting to donate a US dollar equivalent rather than the coins you're holding, for example, that might uh, be a little bit more difficult to part with emotionally, right? Um, Anybody who's been in crypto knows that there's very much a holder mindset. And so while they're not number one or two, uh, they could oftentimes be three or four in terms of which uh, ranking they are uh, as a donation medium. So yeah, I think the proliferation of stable coins is only going to happen more. And I'd be remiss if I didn't offer an introduction, I guess, to our parent company, Shifor, that acquired us in March. They're a global payments player. And so what's great about them is they've also been looking into opportunities in crypto and, you know, certainly recognize the value of stable coins as well. Yeah, that's great because I'm I'm even thinking like longer term and I've worked in nonprofits and was a executive director for a nonprofit in Guatemala and we had to constantly bring money into the country. And mm-hmm. it was always this deal with the banks. They got blocked. Something happened. The money got held up. We couldn't get to it. We had to do it. It was a construction. We were we were building schools. And so we were on a tight schedule. We had to get it done before rainy season, or mm-hmm. we had somebody that was going to come down and look at the school. So it was always 
chaotic. And I'm just thinking moving forward, I wonder if there's a play there for the giving block to help international organizations or even maybe even Mercy Corps to start to be able to send money easier out to its international offices using USDC because it is one-to-one and you're not in that volatility. And that brings me to my next question, which is, what is the future of crypto philanthropy for you? What, what does that look like? And <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to put you in the hot seat here because for me, <laughs> one of the things I see is the tokenizing of big donors. And the tokenizing and the appreciation back to big donors could be a thing. And this is not PFPs. This mm-hmm. is giving them something that maybe it doesn't even have a financial value. It's more of an intrinsic value. It's more of a, uh, when you think of the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts and they get their badges, you know, right. this is to say you have given this much and we would just like to, we'd love to thank you. And we're going to give you this limited NFT, exclusive NFT that you can only get if you do this. Um, to give a, an example for you, I am working on an NFT pro, uh, collection, but you can only get them if you have been a guest on the podcast. So you will get one. I'm hoping to drop them, honestly, in November, if not late October. Very cool. Y- yeah. So you can only get they're exclusive. You can only get them if you've been on the podcast. It's kind of like my proof of work, right? As I build my episodes. So what is the future crypto philanthropy? Is it tokenizing? Is it NFTs? What do you see in the next five years that's going to kind of change the game? Yeah, as any fundraiser knows at this time of the year, all I can see are the first or the last three months of the year ahead of me, just Q4 always being a huge fundraising uh, time. But I'm definitely very bullish on the future of crypto philanthropy. There's a couple things that I see as trends that I think will become really prevalent. And so We'll start high level and then dive into the more technical stuff. One thing I see as a major trend is larger organizations really leaning into CSR or corporate social responsibility work, where they're partnering with more nonprofits and partnering with organizations that are crypto sympathetic uh, on the nonprofit side because they're mission aligned. So you you can imagine how many people used to work at a traditional bank or another company that had, you know, their annual like you know, maybe it was a breast cancer 5k or something similar that they were raising money for as a business. How do you translate that into crypto now? And then what are all the novel ways that you can create activations for a nonprofit that might, you know, help fundraise? So that could be issuing NFTs. It could be, uh, you know, even enabling like a staking pool where the rewards go to nonprofits, right? So if you're staking your Ethereum, for example, or, uh, you know, something else, Maybe all those staking rewards could just be a donation so that you can altruistically kind of donate as long as that yield remains. There's a lot of really cool opportunities there. I think you highlighted one with the metaverse. How do we digitize some of our interactions and create experiences for you know, crypto holders that make them want to donate? I think that's a huge one. And then I think it's also just an interesting kind of, there's there's opportunities, I'll say this, like where you can maybe utilize like more of the smart contracting language uh, like for different blockchains to create new products and services. So like we as a platform uh, are definitely looking into things like how can we expand both the assets that we can offer our nonprofit clients to accept, but then also how can we build in like, even it's like a revenue splitting component into a smart contract where a piece of every transaction could be automatically sent to a nonprofit. And those could be like micro donations, could be all sorts of different things. But like, you know, it's hard to nail down where crypto is going to go because it's always changing. But um, I think it's going to be 
probably the most interesting philanthropic space to be in over the next two, three years. I couldn't agree more. It's exciting to be here. It's also super serendipitous that at the time we record, I'm with Mercy Corps. Mercy Corps has and is partnering with the Giving Block. So Pietro, I want to give you a moment to go ahead and shout out where people can reach you. We connected on LinkedIn, but uh, are you on Twitter? I'm assuming you're on Twitter and all the places where crypto exists. But if people want to reach out to you and really learn more about the Giving Block, where can they find you? The easiest way to find us as an organization is thegivingblock.com. Then we're also on Twitter and social media at The Giving Block. Personally, my name is Pietro Moran, so you could find me there. Uh, same name for Twitter and, and LinkedIn. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I would definitely suggest that you go to the website. We even have a blog that showcases some of the great uh, you know, case studies we've created for nonprofits like Mercy Corps and others. And hopefully we can uh, have a conversation soon. I want to thank you so much for hopping on. And I'm excited to continue to collaborate with The Giving Block. And I'm sure you and I will definitely keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for anybody who's uh, tuning in. Thanks for listening to this episode and be sure to find both Pietro and The Giving Block via the links in this episode's show notes. As always, be sure to follow us on social media at More Than Blockchain. And if you haven't already, go ahead and check out our website at morethanblockchain.xyz. There you'll find all of More Than Blockchain's episodes, Not Crypto Bros podcast episodes, as well as educational video links and informational PDFs from the globe's leading financial institutions. No matter where you're listening, please subscribe to the pod. And if you know someone who would benefit from learning more about crypto philanthropy and or the giving block, please be sure to share this episode's link with them. Thanks for checking out More Than Blockchain, and I'll see you next time.